Hey everyone, thanks for listening to the Seconds Flat Running Podcast. We hope you're having a joyous holiday season. If you enjoy the program and haven't yet left us a rating and review, please do so. That way more friends can find us and share in our running community for 2022. Last week I introduced our friends Ryan and Benjamin at Do South Coffee Roasters. In fact, after a hill workout last week, I stopped in at their shop at Hampton Station and shot the breeze talking running for a while with these guys. A few days ago, I got to meet one of the partners there, Ricardo. Just a great dude. Another runner. He's a Hoka running shoe fan. Ricardo is originally from a coffee-growing region of Brazil, so he knows his stuff. And he's outsourcing their coffees and building relationships with local producers around the world. All our friends at Do South are excited to offer you a 15% discount at online checkout with the code SFPOD. That's S-F-P-O-D. Or better yet, if you're local in Greenville, stop by Hampton Station, meet these folks, get a cup of coffee or one of the sugary treats that I can't resist, and let them know you heard about them here on Seconds Flat. Physical therapist Phil Gregory is back on the show this week, and unfortunately, we had some technical difficulties in uploading our opening segment about our favorite music, films, and most importantly, books of the year. We'll include that with a future episode. For now, we will roll right into our top running gear of 2021, then answer some of your training questions. Here's mile 102 of Seconds Flat. This is the Seconds Flat Running Podcast. He's broken three times. He refuses to give in. He might do it. Look at that guy. Look at Black Zero. Oh, my God. Hey, again, friends. Welcome to Mile 102 of the Seconds Flat Running Podcast. It is great to be with you again. It is that time again, end of the year, we are going to hit on some training questions that you, the listeners, have emailed us over the past year. So I got my man Phil back in with me. Phil, how you doing? Ah, doing well. It's good to be back. It's good to have you. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas to you. Thank you. You were such a hit last time. There has been some rumblings in the local <laughs> running community that this show soon may be yours and not mine. No, you are the world famous host, Travis. Uh, this will always be yours. Yeah, keep going. I like that. <laughs> but it is great to have you because several of the questions that I received and also some conversations I've had with runners, whether it's at Run In, out training are about some injury issues that go a lot with building on what you and I were talking about yeah. last time. So it's perfect timing to have you back for those. And we'll get into a whole bunch of other training topics as well. I always get the question in person and digitally about favorite shoes. Yes. What What are you wearing right now? What are you running in? So we do this one about once a year. We'll go more broadly and just call it the gear of the year yeah. in case you have anything outside okay. of shoes you want to get into. I'll let you go first. What? Uh, yeah. Um, man, I always like one. this question because 
really, I feel like we're in a golden age of like footwear technology. And even looking at like what I think is probably coming down the pipe in the next mm-hmm. t- 10 years or so, that there's so much out there. But probably number one for me this year would be the, and it's not a new shoe this year, but it's the New Balance 1080. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it came out probably about this time last year, but I'm on pair number three. And it's really just, for me, it's a perfect everyday trainer. It's not too heavy. It has a nice forefoot rocker, which I have really become a fan of what a lot of shoe companies are doing with that forefoot. So you get a nice roll through the toe. Mm-hmm. It's soft without being unresponsive or too too soft, but it's also stable. So it's, it's a nice wide platform. Your foot feels stable on the ground. And it's it to me, it's a shoe that really check, has checked a lot of boxes. It's it's handled some dirt roads, some trails, light trails well. Um, it handles long runs well. You can take it down to tempo pace. Faster than that, it, it's a little, it's not too snug, so you get a little bit of slop, sloppiness there. Yeah. But like as you're kind of your workhorse, any day of the week type trainer, that I think that's probably my first first one of the year. The last two or three versions of that shoe have been really, really good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so what about for you? What's, I'll, what's I'll, number one for I'll you? I'll stick with New Balance. Yeah. I'm going to go to a different shoe, okay. but I will stick with New Balance. You know I'm a fan of lightweight, yes. uh, low to the ground, first and foremost. I'm also in a neutral category shoe mm-hmm. like like you are, Phil. And that's one thing to remember here that some of individual. recommendations are yeah. deeply personal, <laughs> right? Because what works for one weight may not work for another. Yeah. But I, I will say, and I'll interrupt, but there seem to be a lot of shoes that are kind of covering a, a broad, much broader spectrum now. You know, 10 years ago, it was, you had this shape of foot that you were in a motion control shoe. If you had mm-hmm. that shape of foot, you're in a stability shoe. If you had that shape of foot, you're in a cushion shoe. And those, those lines have totally disappeared. Thankfully, yeah. in my opinion, I think people were overcorrected. Oh, well, and if you look at the research, it just flat out didn't work. Like, yeah. It didn't affect injury rates at all. There's a lot of, of what I would call democratic shoes that are out there and that they work for a lot of different people, uh, regardless of their specific issues. And really, it, we probably talked about this in our last episode, but at the end of the day, it comes down to, to what's comfortable and, and what fits. So continue. No, that, that's well said. I'm <laughs> glad you said it because I actually have one on my list that's going to fit into that bucket. Yeah. Uh, before I go to that one, I'll start with my New Balance. That is version two of the Fuel Cell Rebel. Ooh. I've absolutely loved it. It's lightweight. It's soft. The big surprise for me has been how surprisingly durable the shoe is. Interesting. Lightweight stuff tends to come with sacrificing yes. durability. Well, the often. shelf life, yeah. I, I have found this to be in experimenting with it uh, i'm on my second pair now useful for everyday running yep i can go slightly faster in it tempo runs like you're talking about yep. absolutely my hill workout yesterday i put this shoe on uh, it doesn't have quite the pop of some of the other stuff on the market that fuel cell foam is fantastic it's soft it's soft and it's light yep. and those are great things but it's not quite as snappy as some other things with that said, the comparables at $130, I just don't know that you're going to do any right, better. Right. And I've also put it out on some longer runs. I have not used it in like marathon training. Okay. I, I haven't really been in that specific block this year, but I've had it on for two hours. Interesting. And so, so, let me, so let me ask you this, because mm-hmm. that's that has their super phone, but it's not plated. That's right. And and. Well, to put it out there, that's that shoe is kind of on my short list of like ones I really want to try because mm-hmm. it's gotten huge reviews. It seems like it would work really well for me. 
and with the the super foam, have you noticed that has affected like how you feel the next day and your recovery and how how beat up you feel as compared to like some of the traditional EVA foams? Or yeah, it's a great. Do you question. get that kind of feedback from it? You know what I see now is because I'm racing in those foams uh-huh. and I'm using multiple shoes, different shoes that are in those foams. I'm just seeing a consistency of feeling less beat up. I don't know that I can can, can attribute it to any one of these shoes yeah. like the Rebel, yeah. but it's certainly in a portfolio that is yielding that. Yeah. Where, um, especially after races, but th- what's more significant is getting through every day so you can get to the race, right? right? And this is a shoe that I've, I wore it about an hour before we came on. Mm-hmm. Friend of the show, Kyle Kugler and I got some miles around town here easy miles. It was an easy double for me. And then we went on the baseball field, on the grass in the outfield, and just did a few hard strides to finish up. And it handles both scenarios well. A six millimeter heel to toe drop. Okay. Does it have the four foot rocker or uh, is it pretty level? It is more level than your 1080. That heel toe offset some people are, are real caught up in it. I, yep. I just like to vary it a little bit to yeah. work the chain, up the chain, Achilles and calf yep. a little bit differently. But just to be aware, it's a little low. You might get a little more stretch there than yep. some stuff you're used to. Well, and really that heel-toe offset, much like the stability factors, has kind of become an overrated measure these days as well. I was hinting at that without trying to specifically <laughs> say it, because I know there are some people who are really tied into it. Right. And... I also believe there are some people that it really matters for. But even a brand like Altra, Mm -hmm. what do they emphasize today? Foot shape. Yep. Not zero drop. Right, not the drop. Yeah. Yeah. They believe that the foot shape is their technology that really matters. What's next for you? Ooh, next next was a tough one. Um, so I'm going to go with the Saucony Endorphin Pro. Mm. And it was it was a toss-up between that and the Nike's Next Percent. But, mm-hmm. but I went with the Endorphin Pro because even though I raced my marathon this year in the, the Next Percent, that shoe's expensive mm-hmm. and it doesn't get a ton of miles or it doesn't have a lot of life to it mm-hmm. after you've put a bunch of miles in it. Whereas the Endorphin Pro has been just an absolute workhorse of a uh, workout shoe, racing shoe, you know, Salcony's top of the line, well, longer racer. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's got that pop, it's got the, the carbon fiber plate uh, and it's got the super foams that, you know, well, it's got Salcony's version of it, but with how they have designed it for me, I think I've got, 250, 300 miles, and it still feels just as good as it did when I put it on. So that's one that's been getting a lot of miles for some of my long runs, um, but for really most of the workouts for the year. That's been a fun shoe to be in. When the first version came out mm-hmm. a summer, so year and a half ago, I just did every long run in it. Yeah. And I was on, at the time I was on a schedule where I did a long run every weekend and I was building towards the hope of a marathon, which of course they were all getting canceled. Right, right. Uh, so I was putting like 18, 20 miles on it every weekend and just used it weekend after weekend as a long run yeah. shoe. Because you're right, it's got a little more uh, durability. Yep to it uh, as compared to the Nike. It is cheaper. As I mentioned in an earlier episode, it is to me the top of the line among the super shoes if you like the firmer feel. Yep. I prefer a softer feel. That's why I like the Nike and I like the New Balance, but the Saucony is really nice as well. It's firm, but it's not harsh. No, that's well said. Yeah. That's well said. For me, number two was along with the Fuel Cell Rebel, one of the shoes that was a, a bigger shift from what a brand had previously done. There wasn't quite as much as of that this year, in part because of the supply chain issues, uh-huh. the production issues. 
So there weren't as many breakthroughs this year right. as, uh, compared to previous years. But we got the Invincible from Nike. Yes. And so we've been waiting a few years on Nike to release a shoe with a full Zoomex foam midsole. That's the Space Age yep. foam that they put in their racers in the Uber oh, that's Fast what started it all. series. And that is, I'll argue that just a bit, Phil, okay. in that I think to some degree Boost started it all. Ah, okay. I'll give you that point. But Boost is heavy. Yep. And, and in some ways was a breaking point where... We got something more responsive, but it was still traditional heavy stuff. Yes, yes. This started it all in marrying light and really cushioned yep. and really fast. Yep. And so I love the Invincible just on a normal day. Yeah. I've done a lot of easy recovery runs in it, but you can move faster in it, I think. But it is a more substantial shoe than, yeah. say, the Rebel that I brought out before. I wouldn't do my fastest work in it but i could easily see a progressive long run uh-huh where you still have the ability to, to pick turn up it over pace. a little bit yeah, yeah yeah and i've all segue do you have another one or uh, want... i got another something else i could throw in there okay so i'm gonna let you go ahead and then i'm gonna segue from that invincible to what has me really excited for next year Ooh, okay so, well so... i got a question for you before we get to that so okay we'll, we'll come around yes this may run longer than yeah. we, we <laughs> intend to uh so my third thing would be the bob stroller is I've mentioned multiple times that I have the little one, but that has been a lifesaver just in terms of having some awesome miles out on the trail with with my little one. It's it's hard to sing frozen songs while you're running on the trail. (laughs) Um, Pushing what is probably now 50 pounds worth of uh, baby and equipment and whatnot. But man, we've had some good times this summer. We've put in maybe 200 miles in that. We did our first race at the Turkey Trot with it. Yeah, I was technically first stroller even though josh riley probably would have beaten me if you'd been there on time <laughs> but you gotta be there <laughs> that to, sounds like to josh win. riley <laughs> but so i'll put that down as my uh, third piece of gear for the year. i have a buddy out of state who's got like i don't know one year old i uh-huh. think now and he just got one within the past few weeks i guess it would have been and has posted some pictures on strava game changer yes absolutely said. so yeah now what was the question you so my question so we, we talked about kind of your shoes of the year what what's your current stable because i think that's helpful to give folks an idea that you know if they're in one shoe or one shoe's worked for them what else kind of fits in that category sure. might might work along those lines so what do you what are you rotating through i am the two i mentioned i am rotating heavily right now they, they're getting the the bulk of the mileage the the nike invincible and the new balance fuel cell rebel i sprinkle in Mm-hmm. Uh, the Hoka Rincon, okay. the newest version, version of it, three? version yeah. three, which has a little more blown rubber on, okay. underneath the forefoot to make it a little bit more durable. I did my run this morning in that shoe. I also occasionally dabble in the Saucony Endorphin Speed. Uh-huh. Basic difference there between the Pro that you mentioned, Phil, is the carbon plate in the Pro versus a nylon plate right. in, in the Speed to give it a little bit more flexibility and intended to be more of a workout shoe rather than a racer. It's a complement to right. the Pro. And then on workout days, the hardest workouts, mm-hmm. which there haven't been a lot of for me lately. I'm just getting back to that. So, you know, it's mainly just getting into hills right now. But before that, maybe late summer, it was old vapor flies. Okay. All right. When the when the next percent had kind of lost its luster, yep. but you want to keep getting miles out Still of it. Still get some miles out of it. Uh, or the New Balance Super Shoe. Okay. The RC Elite. Yep, yep. Uh, second version, which I thought was a great update. Yeah. Uh, you know, maybe if I'm really doing something hard on the track, uh, mile intervals, something like that, five minute intervals, mm-hmm. 
or going out on, on the trail, bike path type trail, yeah, not, yeah. not dirt type trail, uh, for some uh, harder, longer intervals, I might put that shoe on. Okay. Uh, so that's the the basic rotation right now. I just found the Rebel and the Invincible so good. I've kind of loaded up on those most yeah, recently. Yeah. How about you? So I, I finally found what I think is the perfect stable for me. Mm. Um, is the the New Balance 1080 is kind of my daily yep. go-to. Works great for long runs, for the, the daily half-hour to hour runs, occasionally mm-hmm. tempo runs. The Endorphin Pro, like I talked about, for workout days, occasionally for longer, you know, two-hour runs. And then my easy day recovery run shoe is the, the Hoka Clifton, yeah. which is really, well, we've talked about this on runs before, but since version three has been just a, a solid recovery run shoe for me. You know, they've gotten a little bit heavier from what they used to yep. be. They've gotten a little bit softer, so they don't work as well for like faster days. But for those days you feel beat up, but want to get a few miles in, that's that's worked well for me. Yeah, beautiful. And if you like that earlier Clifton feel, mm-hmm. a little lighter, the Hoka that I mentioned, yeah, maybe is, yeah, it, yep. it becomes something that you consider. Yep. Yeah. My excitement, my enthusiasm, yes. my anticipation yes, what are you excited about? for 2022... I believe it's an August release, but don't hold me to that with everything going on okay. right now. Is the reincarnation of the much beloved? Oh, I know where you're going. Pegasus yes, Turbo, the Turbo Three. Yes. So it's something along the line of the name will be like a Pegasus Turbo, Pegasus Thirty Eight Turbo Next Percent, or uh, you yeah, know, I don't know what the like final yeah. marketing title is on that. I haven't looked at it lately. I think we're going to get more exciting stuff in the future because you know all the great design brains have been churning out the ideas yes. that we couldn't produce. But I mean, I loved that. Well, the Peg Turbo term- One for me was that's on my short list of great shoes of all time. Yeah, so you have a layer of the Zoom X uh-huh. foam there blended with a layer of the React foam, really lightweight, and that's a key difference from the Invincible. Yep. It's significantly lighter incredibly versatile i have one pair left so i didn't mention this oh, in my rotation because i didn't want to <laughs> to blow it uh, before i got to this i have one pair that i'm using that is now on like a hundred miles okay it's the last one you gotta savor it uh, yeah i kept that thing in the box for a long time it's probably not as good as it would have been if i just used it two years ago but super excited to see what they do get that on my foot nice sometime this summer nice. so there's uh Gear of the year Something for you. To look forward to. Let's transition then, Phil, yeah. into so we have some more specific questions? training related sure. questions, and we'll do a little back and forth here. And uh, I'm going to feed Phil the questions that are more physical therapist oriented, and chime in with some of my experience from the practical realm yeah. of, uh, of a runner and training athletes. Uh, we can help avoid some of these injuries. Well, and I'll give you some of the, the training questions. Yeah, so, and then you'll yeah. chime in as well from, from the your experience. Yeah. yeah, so uh, you want to go ahead yeah, and so let's start, with the first Let's one? start with the first question. So you've talked a lot about strides or diagonals being done on grass or turf. Why? Uh, if I do them on the track or road, is that more or less valuable? I really liked this question because the last time I talked about strides and diagonals, a previous episode, I thought to myself... I should discuss more why I'm talking about this getting done on grass. Yep, yep. So someone asked the, this, this wonderful question, and I have multiple reasons. Sure. The first is, although there is mixed research, I am a fan of getting on soft surface yes. when possible. Yep. Agree? Absolutely. 100%. Yeah. With the foams we have today, some of that harsh impact of the road is dampened. Yes. Right? 
Uh, and there is plenty of good research suggesting on softer surfaces that we actually strike harder. Yes. But the soft surface comes with value that's not just about it being soft. It's about it being different. Right. It's about variation. You, that, that variation using different muscles in slightly different ways, but also the mental variation mm -hmm. is incredibly valuable. So this can be a quick, easy way to add more soft surface into your running. I mentioned football, uh, like the grass of a football field or the grass or turf of a soccer field, and also because of the simple ease of markings, right? Where you can use you the sideline. What the distance is? That's and right. When I can to go, go and when from, to rest. Yeah. from goal line to goal line, a corner to corner on a diagonal, and, and make it really easy for me to use these markings, as you said, both for the goes and the recoveries. Yep. Uh, so, I, I like that piece a lot. The, the road and the track work. I'm not telling you not to do right. that. And part of the question was, is that more or less valuable? I don't necessarily think it's less valuable. I think it's great. Right. You may be able to find some other value getting it on the grass. Well, I think variety is, from my perspective, probably the biggest point. Mm -hmm. And and from the, the clinical perspective, we can talk about this a little bit more, but do them, period. You know, That's right. Whatever works for you and where, where you are training Yes. Just do them. And that that's key to what I was going to add, Phil. If you need to do them on the road or the track, we want to just stay creative within the framework and options we have. If doing it on the road is the option you have for whatever reason, maybe it's just there's a lights on your road and there's yeah. not on the grass and you do it early in the morning, then do it on the road. Or if you don't have access to a, a grass field yep. or turf. You or don't have like it nearby. Yeah. Sure. I think the biggest thing of going onto the soft surface is the ability to develop foot and lower leg strength there because you have the option now to go barefoot. Absolutely. That has a carryover. Foot and lower leg strength have a direct relation to ground contact time mm -hmm. and how much force I can create and can I turn over faster. Right? Well, and from a, from a clinical standpoint as well, going barefoot like that, train some tendon adaptations that we aren't, able to effectively do in a shoe or on pavement. Mm -hmm. I think that's a fantastic training tool to take your shoes off and enjoy, have fun. Shoes are protective. Yep. That's part of what they serve to do, but they're also restrictive. Yes. Right. Inherently restrictive. I, I also think the foot strength that comes with this is significant and valuable in transitioning to our next question. Yeah. Well, let's hear it. Because this one's for you. Okay. I've heard this one a ton of times. This is the common cold of running injuries. I'm dealing with a bad case of plantar fasciitis. I am sorry. That has hampered my training recently. I know. I feel sorry for everyone who <laughs> yes. has that because it stinks, right? Any tips or exercises that might be helpful? Sure. Man, this is... And actually, Phil, I'll interject just for a moment. Please. If you could take a step back and just describe the condition a little bit for someone okay. who's may have it and doesn't realize it or has never experienced it yep. before? So so plantar fasciitis is an irritation of the connective tissue in the bottom of your foot. Most commonly, it happens there at the base of the heel. Um, and in your foot structure, there is a thick piece of connective tissue, basically a, a ligament that helps to support your arch. And plantar fasciitis is just an, an irritation of that tissue back towards the heel. Commonly, symptoms are, of course, pain in that area, but folks really have a, a tough time uh, when they first wake up in the morning in terms of putting the foot on the ground. They have a tough time with just prolonged standing and walking and having pressure on that heel. 
so that that's kind of what we're what we're talking about. Especially so, on hard surfaces. Hard surfaces. Yes. yes, yes. So, man, that is a that's that's a tough question because really it's it's a very frustrating thing to deal with, and, and unfortunately sometimes that can take six months to a year to calm down. But l- let's start with kind of the most targeted things, and then work towards more of ancillary things that may or may not have some benefit. So first is to restore the range of motion to the foot and the ankle. The foot kind of first of all, because with how that connective tissue functions, it attaches the base of the heel through the ball of the foot and then into the big toe. So a lot of times when folks have this, you'll see uh, restricted extension of the big toe. Mm-hmm. Extension being that, that the ball of the foot and the toe being able to come up towards the shin. The stretch that I like for that is if you're just sitting with your with your legs crossed, pulling that the ball of the foot and the big toe up towards your shin, and even adding even adding a little bit of massage kind of through the arch of the foot as you do that can help to restore some of that that range of motion of the big toe. Next would be looking at restoring the range of motion of the the calf and the ankle. Um, so that can be done with anything uh, such as foam rolling the calf muscle or rolling the foot over a lacrosse ball to kind of loosen up those soft tissues to a simple, if you YouTube a runner's calf stretch Mm -hmm. or just if you have access to a step, having the ball of foot on the step and letting that heel drop down to where you're stretching through the, through the ankle. And really with, with this, I like holding that stretch for a much longer period of time than traditional. Um, You know, most folks hold a stretch from 10 to 30 seconds. And for the majority of cases, that's, really pretty effective for what we're wanting to get out of flexibility training. But when we're dealing with this, I like a sustained stretch of really two minutes plus Great. because it, it takes that length of time to actually get a structural tissue lengthening change to that area. It, it, it's typically pretty uncomfortable to hold the stretch that long, but that that's okay. So I, w- I would encourage you to, to lengthen the, the stretching time. So those are kind of the the initial things I would directly start with. The other one I would throw in there from a a specific targeted treatment approach is building up the strength of the the foot and the calf muscles. From that perspective would be just simple calf raises. So standing on one foot, raising that heel up and down, or doing that off of the step, kind of going through a little bit more range of motion where you're raising the heel up and down. Uh, There's been some data around a variation of that exercise that is somewhat promising but early and that if we modify that calf raise where the ball of the foot's going to stay on the floor but if you put a like a towel roll mm-hmm. or something to extend the toes specifically sense. the big toe to extend the toe and then as you raise up on the ball of the foot as you raise that heel up that extends the big toe a little bit more mm-hmm. so we're building calf strength but we're also directly loading that that tissue and it's okay if that's painful. That means that we're really targeting the area that we want to. And, and tissue doesn't change unless it's stressed and loaded. Um, so it's okay for that to be a little uncomfortable. But doing doing calf raises that way would be productive. Um, and you know, really going to to failure with that. Doing as many as you can. Mm. Um, you know, three sets of I would start out with maybe three sets of eight, but even building to doing three sets of 20 or 30. Mm. Um, and really calf strength is one of the bigger risk factors for this. You know, in general, I like to see runners being able to do 35 to 40 single leg calf raises. So building up to where you have that capacity 
number one, if you have this condition, it could be helpful. But number two, if you have issues with doing that many, that would be something to target from a, a injury reduction mm-hmm. uh, perspective. So that's kind of my, my, my first line treatment. Kind of moving down in terms of other things that could be helpful is just improving overall flexibility of the back of the leg. So hamstring stretches, glute stretches, piriformis stretches, again, holding a little bit longer. But if we think of how all that tissue interacts, those muscles are all connected and those muscles all all function to extend the foot and extend the lower leg. So if we can decrease tension kind of throughout that chain, that potentially could take some tension off of that, that plantar fascia. And then beyond that, in terms of devices, one thing that I'll recommend would be like a night splint or even a Strasburg sock to where you're sleeping in this device. If you have a a partner or spouse, they will hate you for this because they are (laughs) terribly uncomfortable. And most likely if you do this, you will wake up at three or four o'clock in the morning taking it off because Mm -hmm. it gets uncomfortable. But this is a device that basically stretches that foot up towards your shin to give a, a longer duration stretch to that plantar fascia and to keep that tissue length. Uh, when you're in bed, you know, for through the night. So you're not waking up having nearly as much pain putting the, the heel onto the ground. And then lastly would probably be arch support type inserts. There's some data that this can be helpful. Basically just a, a shoe insert that has a little bit of extra material under the arch to give you some support to that plantar fascia. Um, and over the count, the, the research says that over the counter for the most part works just as well as anything custom. But that can be helpful as well. And that's that kind of fits in the realm of you'll know pretty quickly if that's going to be effective. If you try it and it doesn't work, then don't worry about it. But if you try and it gives you a little bit of relief, then it is absolutely worth worth using. That's how I would approach plantar fasciitis. And so let's do the things you started with there mm-hmm. so that we avoid getting to the place where we have to buy these yes. things and, and experiment with a bunch of different stuff. Yep. Because I think you nailed some great options for strengthening and lengthening Mm -hmm. that can avoid it in your future or help you if you already have it. I'll add a little bit to your list. Uh, One is if you are currently healthy, a set of drills you can do to help you avoid this, uh, as well as especially for a younger runner, shin splints Mm -hmm. are barefoot foot drills on, on a soft surface. Something as simple as walking 20 meters on your heel, yep. then up on your toes, then on the outside as far as you can go, and the inside as far as you yep. go. I, I have a Those video. Those are fantastic drills. Yeah, I have a video of these on YouTube demonstrating this. If, if that description doesn't make sense to you, watch it so you can see uh, on a Seconds Flat by Run in YouTube channel. Those are highly effective prehab drills here for anything foot, lower yep. leg. But I'll tell you this, if you already have a PF issue, they might really hurt right yes. now to do these barefoot. So be careful. You want to yes. do that when healthy, get started with that now. The only other drill I'll add to what you did for strengthening, lengthening is uh, simply what I call a sock drill. Uh, if you are seated in a chair end of the day, watching television, uh, put a sock or a small towel or something laid out in front of you on the floor and pick that up with your bare foot. Yep. It, you might see that if you can't even pick it up, it's a sign of how weak your foot is yeah. that you might really need to do it. Uh, I like to pick that up, raise the entire leg up and then release and drop it. Yep. Uh, so we have the strengthening as we pick it up and then the release as you drop it, kind of a release in the fascia. Yep. So I think all those are incredibly highly effective tools for helping with a 
an awful nagging injury. Yeah. Yeah. And, and with this as well, this is the kind of thing that even though it can be very painful, it's something that if you can tolerate it, you can train through, you know, kind of, I talked a little bit on our last episode in terms of what, when should you train through an injury versus when should you rest or whatnot. But, you know, if you're having discomfort through there, but you're able to maintain your normal running stride and that pain level is relatively minimal, then, then keep going. You know, there's no concern that you're going to necessarily damage any tissue or injure anything. Uh, but, at the same time, if you are limping or altering your stride to compensate mm-hmm. for that, then we gotta we gotta solve that issue. Yeah, for sure. Good job. Cool. Well, question for you now, Travis. Okay. Uh, another question building on the subject of strides. Uh, you've had a lot of discussions about strides or hill sprints for improving speed. What are some other methods I could use as a distance runner for creating better speed? Yeah, great question. You could start to think more like a sprinter. Look at what they do at sprint practice. So lay around in the grass? Yes. <laughs> uh, sprint practice. Yeah, think about it this way. A two-hour track practice. Let's just make that number up. Mm-hmm. Let's say it's two hours. A two-hour track practice for a distance runner involves a lot of running. An extensive warm-up of running easy, cool-down of running easy, aerobic action in between, maybe tempo run, whatever it is. You got an hour to two hours where you're doing a lot of running mm-hmm. with little recovery. Effective sprint training does almost the opposite short bursts of activity with extensive recoveries that laying around in the grass perhaps for some is a sign of laziness but for most good sprinters it's actually a sign of effective training full recovery that's right so in then thinking like a sprinter what are some tools sprinters use to really work on high level speed well they're going to spend time with acceleration Mm -hmm. That might be less valuable. Probably less important for a distance runner. That's right. But you could move to what sprinters might use as a next step, which is something like flying 30s, uh-huh. flying 40s. So if you're unfamiliar, these are roll into sprints where you are going at maximum speed for short distances because you can hold maximum speed for very short distances. Right. Um, watch the greatest sprinters in the world. Those who are not on substances, right? Because we see outliers, maybe most famously Ben Johnson at mm-hmm. Seoul in 88 when they got to 80 meters in the 100 and it he looked like he found another yeah. gear. Yep. That That is not naturally possible, no. <laughs> at, at least to our current understanding. That was drug-induced. Yes. And I believe of the eight men in the final in that race, seven of them were, were popped, yes. some of them within days, yes. and the eighth, we won't get into too deep, but there are suspicions mm-hmm. on the eighth, the one who actually <laughs> took gold. So if you look at what they're doing at high levels, there's still a deceleration at the end. So this thought that you as a distance runner could sprint as hard as you can for 200 meters, no. That's right. not how this works. You're not at maximum speed. But a flying 30, I like starting with 30. It may extend sure. to 40 eventually, but for a distance runner, starting at 30, where you get a jog into it, you accelerate your building, and just if you want to do it at the track, you could look to the infield if there's a football field and use approximately the 30-yard yeah. yeah. marker or measure off 30 meters. And what a distance runner can do here to make this also aerobic or just your easy day. I had this conversation with one of our athletes 
who is looking in kind of a transition, decided uh, not going to do indoor track, but really wants to keep working on some faster stuff, has a history in the steeplechase, the 800 meters, more Uh speed oriented, but a target race down the road is a half marathon six or seven months away. And, and our discussion was, let's continue to work on some of those strengths in the base period. I think the base is the time to do this stuff. Well, to not get – well, never get away from speed. Yeah, that right. That should be a component year-round. And so for most of us, it's hill sprints or strides. Right. But if you want to go sprint-oriented, flying 30s with really long, easy recovery jogs, and you can come out of it the next day mm-hmm. and not feel super beat up like I just ran as hard as I could. Right. So – you may have to do your flying 30, jog all the way around the track, back to where you started, and maybe even a little more. Yeah. That, you know, we're looking at maybe three minutes sure. uh, of at easy, a minimum, of easy jogging just for a 30-meter sprint, yep. right? And then the longer that gets, the more recovery gets. So the next logical step is really more of a speed endurance tool, but okay. uh, the sprint float sprint or in and out. So this would look like uh, yeah. 30 to 40 meters maximum speed. You can roll into it okay. as a distance runner. It's fine. 30 to 40 meters maximum speed, 30 to 40 meters of floating where you're just taking your foot off of the accelerator. And then I Boom, go again for another 30 meters at the end. I generally like the second sprint in this Mm -hmm. to be at or shorter than the distance of the first one because we've already expended that energy. And so these can cover anywhere from a total of maybe 80 to 150 meters and you're going in and out, right? Sprint, float, sprint. And so that's the next logical step. But... A lot of times we think about speed for distance runners with the kick we have at the end of a race. And the kick is so often a product of what you have left. Right. How you pace the rest of the race. Yeah, how you delegated your race, not just your maximum speed. We do want to increase your maximum speed, but keep the main thing, the main thing in your training. Just step back here. So maybe you just don't think like a sprinter. You think like an athlete a few distances down from what you're training for. So maybe you're a marathoner. Yeah, you sprinkle in some of the stuff we just talked about. Another place you can get it is in the weight room. I should have mentioned that too. With the explosive, powerful lifts, there's no question you can get it there also. Or just getting stronger, period. Because at the end of the day, going faster is about applying force to the ground and getting off the ground quickly. And so even the body weight stuff that keeps your framework better, more stable helps here. But to, to go back... Sprinkling that stuff in, but thinking like a 10K runner for a block mm-hmm. probably is the functional speed that is event focused for you. Right. The 5K athlete thinking like a miler for a block before they go 5K Back into mile training or 5K yeah, training. Yeah. Th- that's right. That's, don't, don't overthink it. Know that we want to get better here, that you need to think like a sprinter at times. Um, but strides, hill sprints, flying 30s in and out, probably doing all that is you're just doing too much for yep. a distance runner that you're you're sacrificing. You are robbing Peter to pay Paul. Yes. <laughs> and then the last piece here is I would encourage you to go back to mile 54. And that episode is mainly about hill training. Okay. I believe for most of us, uh, particularly as we age, the power created on hills really does 
function as speed work in disguise. Well, not Frank just the Shorter power, but also the, the postural changes that, mm-hmm. that running hard uphills teaches. And then I'll go to a third point, because you took the second one, because <laughs> you're, you're dead on. You're right. You, you're just bang on with that. It's also a lower injury risk yes. than trying to you're run not having the same impact. really, really fast, especially as you age yep. on a track. Yes. Yeah. That, fantastic. Good. I'm going to send it back at you now. Let's hear it. Okay. I have all the symptoms of IT band syndrome. I remember reading this and I was like, man, that's, this is not off to a good start. This email. (laughs) Um, What are some possible causes other than just overuse? Uh, Stretching doesn't seem to be fixing it. What else could I do? That second part here of what are some possible causes other than just overuse? Yeah. feels like we're looking for explanations and there could be others, but Overuse could be part of the package, too. Well, let's talk Go about ahead. what it is first. So, yeah, please. So the iliotibial band is a, a thick band of connective tissue that attaches from the lateral part of the pelvis through the side of the thigh and attaches into the side of the, the lower leg, the side of the kneecap, uh, basically the side of the knee. So you often see when folks have this, that they have pain, very sharp pain, kind of just above the knee, but on the outside of the, the lower thigh. Sometimes you'll see very sharp pain kind of just at the side of the kneecap. Um, but basically, it's, a, it's an irritation of that connective tissue through there. And you see this commonly in folks that basically have a lot of excessive inward rotation of the leg during their stride. You also see this a lot in folks that land very firmly or stiffly. So let, let's talk about the, the first case, the folks that have a lot of inward rotation. That is often due to just general weakness through those deeper hip muscles. So your glute muscles, uh, your, your lateral hip muscles, general decreased strength in general. Let's pause Please. and just say what you just said again. All right. Just, just reemphasize that because it's almost, I, I don't want to overstate it. You know more about this than I do, no, it's but al- it's, it's almost, almost always an open issue. and shut book yeah. right here, right? No. So to dig into that. Well, well let, let's talk about it, the stretching component first, because okay. that's, that's often misunderstood and that you know, folks that deal with this, they, they look online or look you know, some pictures and they, they show a few different ways to, quote, stretch the IT band. The IT band virtually cannot be stretched. It is so tough. You could hang a truck from that thing. Yeah. I mean, there are videos of, of driving automobiles over uh, IT bands from cadavers. Yes. And it just doesn't budge. Yes, it doesn't move. But that, that, that IT band connects to the muscles basically of the butt and the side of the hip, hip flexors and and your glutes. So at the end of the day, the, the re what we want to address is just building strength through there. So that's through exercises, yeah, I think I've talked about the Myrtle routine before. I For think sure. you have a video. On yeah, we, the, we've on mentioned both of those channel. here more than once. Um, yeah. So that, that's a, a great start, really. I'm also a big fan of anything that works on strengthening uh, moving side to side. So if you have a, a mini band or a, a TheraBand around your ankles where you're walking sideways or doing side lunges, um, things like that, to, to build strength in the, those hip muscles. Because really what we want to do is control the in and out movement of the knee so that 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 connective tissue isn't having excessive tension or friction uh, placed on it, causing it to be irritated. Yeah. Get stronger. Yeah. I just made a single note 
strength. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Glute medius Absolutely. is where a lot of this is coming from. Uh, to the point about the stretching, and you were hinting at this, if there is a stretching, you know, a mobility or flexibility issue, it could be more about the muscles that are around it, that Correct. are attached to it. You can do some yep. work there. So things, but, I would say in that area, things like uh, if you're familiar with yoga and the pigeon pose stretch, that's a great one. Foam rolling through the side of the thigh and the soft tissues through there uh, is often quite painful, yeah. but it can be very effective at loosening some of that up. Foam rolling through the through the glute muscles can help loosen that up a little bit. Mm-hmm. And getting those also, uh, like you mentioned, a lacrosse ball for, mm-hmm. for a PF issue. Same is true here with an IT band yeah. issue. It, you know, that could create a, a shape that might get into, say, the glute yep. more easily than a traditional block foam roller. Yeah. yeah. Um, um, or, or a percussive uh, massage device yep. can, can help with that as well. Absolutely. Yeah. And really the other end of that is, is running form. Um, mm-hmm. And you you see folks that are predisposed to this with a lot of, you know, I've talked about inward movement of the leg, but also a lot of hip drop. So basically when the foot lands, that opposite hip kind of collapses to the ground. So if this is something you're dealing with, really paying attention that when you're landing, number one, that the foot's landing underneath you rather than you're trying to reach out in front of you. Number two, that when you land, you try to keep that kneecap pointing straight ahead. Often I'll use the analogy that if you imagine you have flashlights attached to your kneecaps, you want those light beams going straight ahead. You don't want those beams crossing when your foot's on the ground. And then also as well, trying to pay attention to keep your your hips level or your hips high can give you a little bit less lateral and rotational movement to take some strain off that, that area. Yeah, those are good points. Last point to that is also to build on just getting stronger. I do see examples of this being about strength imbalances yes. to where you're very yep. strong in an area like your quads yep. and not... But you're weak these, through the hamstrings. That's yeah. exactly right. And then, then you get the pulling that yep. comes with it. And that's why at times you'll see this... Um, manifest itself on downhills yes. where you're engaging the quads yep. more. And it maybe goes back to what we were just talking about with running uphills. Yeah, run uphill. <laughs> Might help you a little bit here, right? Yeah. Yeah, perfect. Well, and, and as well, in general, just building the strength through that whole backside. So mm-hmm. things like uh, hamstring curls, using a stability ball, things like single leg deadlifts. Yeah, um, I did mine this like morning. glue bridges. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Shakira was right. The hips don't lie. God, I tell you what, was she ever wrong? I don't think so. No, I can't think of a single time. <laughs> Let's move on. Yeah, please. <laughs> so question for you. Uh, uh-huh. I got in my first Boston Marathon this coming spring. Congratulations. That's fantastic. It wasn't me. I, congratulations to the listener. <laughs> I'm still chasing that. <laughs> You'll get there, Phil. We'll go together someday. <laughs> That's right. I appreciate the course strategy in mile 97. Could you do more on Boston-specific training? I'd love to. Let's do it right now. Yes. Uh, I don't know that it's a full episode thing we'll do, but we can get you some big points right now as you start that training plan for, uh, what do we got here? Like 18 weeks, I think, out to Boston right now. Yeah, sounds about right. Um, yeah. So seriously, congratulations uh, to, to that listener. I've got a number of friends, uh, several friends and several athletes we work with who are doing their first Boston this spring. Oh, fantastic. So I thought this is perfect. We'll yeah. double down on this question that came from, from the listener as well. Boston is an absolutely magical experience and it is the pinnacle for many runners. There's, for amateur running, it's, it's yeah, our Olympics. Th- there's no question. To me, standing in Hopkinton 
particularly if I can ever get there on a cool day with a tailwind. I only get there on icy cold days with <laughs> rain and wind, headwind, or You're a in the sauna day. Yeah, like it's, yeah. So, uh, Hopkinton, cool day, tailwind is about as close to running, Nirvana, running Nirvana as we get. <laughs> uh, I think about here, this is totally tangential, but my, uh, my uncle Steve who is always good for a, a funny quote. He uh, he has some uh, developmental disabilities, and I got to see him at Thanksgiving. And my dad went to pick him up to bring him over to our house, uh, bring him back from his assisted living. And uh, at some point in the car, he asked my dad if there's McDonald's and a pizza place in heaven. And there should be. I would like to think so. Yes. Right? And, and I just... Got thinking about it. I, like, I don't want the McDonald's. Right? Like, that sounds terrible to me, but he loves his quarter pounders. But I'll tell you what, a pizza place in the Boston Marathon, oh. that's, that's heaven. heaven. Yeah. Yeah, so I'm happy with that. So enjoy this experience. We know it to be a net downhill. Mm-hmm. We also know that doesn't mean it's easy. It's actually especially challenging. Because the downhills of, come early, right? Right, because the downhill comes first early. Then again late mm-hmm. with a sneaky downhill wedged in the middle. So the first four-ish miles just beyond halfway and then the final slightly less than 10K have downhills with the last one being the most gradual that you can actually use effectively. Okay. The biggest advice here is the biggest advice that I always give for any challenging race. First, get as specifically fit as you possibly can right it's the same as true for the really hot weather race which could be boston also and that's especially difficult transitioning out of a cold winter training spending your mileage in the cold weather yeah bundled up it snuck up on on people this past week at kiowa one of our athletes was down on the coast at kiowa and they had like a 70 degree and humid day and people are dropping like flies because they've been training in the fall hot weather day, challenging course, whatever it is, that all becomes fractionally easier when you're in the best shape possible. Yes. Don't overdo it. Don't... Get your healthy. Yes. Don't just completely drain the tank of all the energy you need to get there. But just stay focused on that. Get as fit as I can. Then let's work on the specifics. You got to do hills to go there. And I think you have to do them both up and down. Yes. Well, because downhill running is a skill. It is absolutely a skill. And so one, it's working on your form there. Mm-hmm. It's about not overreaching. That's something we do a lot that can be really jarring. It's about striking under your hips. Yep. It's a slight but not dramatic forward lean. But then it's also really about the catabolic impacts of downhill running with that eccentric yes. loading that yep. you're getting. It, it is a, a process that breaks down your body. Well, probably running down downhill as part of your training learn, teaches you to adapt to that. That's right. And so we want to put it in the training so that we can adapt to it, but we don't want to do too much of it and we don't want to do it too hard right. because on race day, when it matters, that first four miles and then right before you go into the Newton Hills when you get a big downhill, it's really about holding yourself back. Yes. And so this is not working on running downhill as fast as you can. Rather, it's working on the skill at a increased pace, maybe something that looks more like your race pace and developing the form that goes with it, like mm-hmm. you said, working that skill so that you can run the other portions successfully. Because what people feel is, oh, I got hammered by the first four miles. I got out so fast, which is never really a good strategy no. in any marathon. So you don't want to bank time there. Right. Especially here. 
And then I get the question, and it's a logical question. Okay, it blew my quads up, but then why, if I'm going uphill at 17, 18, 19, 20, am I struggling so much because of that? Right. Well, it's because of everything that's getting secreted into those muscles. Right, that cumulative damage of those miles. Exactly. That's exactly right. So work hard uphills, downhills under control. For example, like a hilly fart like is something I like to put into training here. If you're local in the upstate, uh, I think a great place to do this that keeps it fairly gradual, which I believe is nice in training. None of these hills, uh, with the exception of maybe one or two, are super severe, either Mm -hmm. up or down at Boston. Most of them are manageable. If you did them just once on your everyday run, you wouldn't freak out. Okay. But it's the cumulative. cumulative. Yes. A great place here is the Doodle Trail out easily to Pickens. Yeah. It has some long, steady ups and downs. I love a moderately long run there. I think if you park at one end and go out and back all the way to the finish, it's something like 16 miles. Okay. Yeah. And what I'll do is after a warm up period, just surge all the uphills on it. And then just normal kind of long run pace just roll the downhills on the downhills and the steadies it's a great introduction to it so So if you have a kind of rolling course that's great here and i'll throw in one as well from some friends of mine um scott murray and bill pierce they have done the again if you're local the green valley course Mm -hmm. um the traditional green valley course uh it's 10 miles it's been gone for years now unfortunately there's still maps out there of it but doing that twice it's a 10 mile loop but you know, doing a 20-mile run there, you know, they always would talk about how they felt that they were ready for Boston when they could have a successful 20-mile run there because it's just, it's just continually rolling mm-hmm. um, and just they knew they were ready for the hills then. And I would also recommend if you wanted to go that route and do that twice, spin it and flip directions the yeah, second time, yeah. go the opposite way just to get a little different stimulus on the second loop. But you're right, anywhere where you can find a rolling course – to create some hill surges, I believe it's going to be really valuable for you. We're going to put a lot of that in our Boston training. Uh, the other thing I love here comes from the greatest Boston Marathon coach who ever lived, Bill Squires. What are often referred to as the Squires surges. We've mentioned this mm-hmm. in brief here before, but they're great for the rhythm breaks of Boston. Because the second half of Boston, there's virtually nowhere where you're going to get into a rhythm. The first half, somewhere between like 4 and 12, you can find a little more rhythm. That's the one place where it's relatively flat. Although I will say with the crowds, with the traffic on the road uh, of competitors, and with the somewhat uneven roads, you're on really old roads, Mm -hmm. roads that get a bunch of snow in the winter, and then you get potholes. A lot of broken asphalt kind of thing. Yeah, it's just a bit uneven. So even the places where you find rhythm, you don't get a ton of it. Squires always coached the surges into the long run. As he said, it puts the tiger in the cat. Yeah. And there's different structures here. Love to use one where largely you're using 10-minute cycles that you do over and over. And so we'll go to the one that um, Greg Meyer and Bill Rogers made famous where it was three minutes at about 10K effort, seven minutes steady. Not easy, but steady. Nice. Whatever kind of course you want to be on. Rolling flat, doesn't matter. And then you can build from there. I have seen a Squires training plan, a picture of a Squires training plan written on a napkin at the Elliott Lounge of a long run progression leading to Boston for his athletes. Oh, man. And, And so they'll use that and then they might go to five minutes 
at half marathon effort, five minutes steady. His advanced athletes, and he's dealing with some of the best pros in the world at the time, may go six and four on that. That could be a bit much for you. But if you think about it, with this approach, a lot of hill work also, when you're going both up and down, these fart-like type Mm -hmm. hill work, it's a lot of alternations. Right. Never getting comfortable. Yeah. And so using just simple traditional alternations uh, on a track too is an option. The the Monaghetti Fartlek, Aussie Quarters type stuff, right? Where it's Aussie Quarters are the 400 hard 200 floats and just continuous. I think that stuff is especially valuable for Boston specific work because you just don't get in a lot of rhythm especially in the second half, which is where the racing happens. And what you're creating with a Squires-like program is you're attacking the hills. Remember, they're bigger than you. Don't try to kill them, (laughs) but be strong through them. Come out of them strong and be able to use that last 10K downhill because you haven't killed yourself on the earlier downhills and you were prepared for the uphills and you did surging work. That's the recipe combined with, one, be prepared for anything when it comes to racing conditions. It could be anywhere from snow to 90 degrees, all right? So uh, you're going to have to dial in the nutrition and the hydration that work for that and and try as best you can where you are working out in various conditions leading up to it. And two, do some training at the time that you are actually going to run this race. That's good advice. It is atypical. It used to be a noon race that ended with beef stew. It's now a 10 a.m. race in waves where you might go at 10, 10, 30, 11. It was even a little bit earlier this year with Mm -hmm. the pandemic. We'll see what they do in years going forward. We don't typically do hard work at those times. It's also a Monday, which is weird. It throws off the rhythm of the week. Yeah. So if you can get on a Monday, but that might be hard for most people. But the 10 o'clock, perhaps on a weekend long run, you could start it then. And that might be another tool as you get closer to it where you get a little more flavor of some warmth too, Mm -hmm. doing it later in the day, midday. It's good advice. Those are some places to start. We may talk a little bit more about that leading up to Boston this year because I just, I love the question. Love talking (laughs) about the topic. Well, congrats to him for Yeah, for sure. Best of luck to everybody who's going to be there in April. It's fantastic. We had multiple questions about half marathon training, but we're going to wrap this because we've gone for too long already. It's been incredible fun, Phil, and I feel like really informational. Oh, this was great. I love the stuff you bring. I got uh, some more reading to do. For, that's right. I, <laughs> uh, I got I got more case studies on the human body to read because from a physical therapy perspective, I love the questions that you spark in my brain. So I'm going to do a half marathon training specific episode next time out. Nice. So we will get into all the nuts and bolts of half marathon training on the next episode. Remember, SFPOD, S-F-P-O-D, that is your discount code with our friends over at Do South Coffee Roasters. Follow them at Do South Coffee. And as always, thanks to Run In, where you can go check out some of that gear we talked about. That's right. Uh, We will see you next time on mile 103 of Seconds Flat.